Seth Goldberg is back from his long weekend. I'm Stephen Fonta. We've got you up until 2 o'clock. A couple of guests lined up for you today. We've got a great first hour planned. We've got Nick Friedel. He covers the NBA for ESPN.com and ESPN 1000 in Chicago. He's a Q's guy. We're going to have him on to talk NBA, talk the conference finals. NBA draft combine getting underway tomorrow in Chicago, Tyus Battle among those on hand. And coming up in about 15 minutes, Pete Sala, Chief Facilities Officer at Syracuse University. He runs the Dome. We've got a thing or two to talk to Pete about. What I miss? You missed the big story yesterday. It, it always happens. One of us it's takes exactly a day off. Happens. A lot ends up happening. We had Rick Beardsley, Mike Waters uh, in studio yesterday, but I have yet to get your thoughts on... What went down with the the Carrier Dome plan, the renovation plan unveiled yesterday? We've been talking about it here and, here and there for years. We finally have a plan that's been announced. They are going to move forward. Your thoughts on uh, what was outlined yesterday? I think that's the biggest thing. We finally have a plan. We finally know, right? It's, it's nearly two years to the day. I think it's a little over two years that the plan was announced to spend $250 million on... That part of campus, right? Archbold Gym, the Dome, whatever else is in that area that they wanted to spend money on. And I think that we all knew that this day had to come because you needed to get something done with that roof. You had to figure something out. Um, And while you were going in and fixing the roof and doing that, you might as well fix some other stuff too, right? You might as well overhaul a little bit of it. Um, And this is something that I want to ask Pete Sala, but I would imagine, and I know this was said yesterday, that doing construction on the rest of the building becomes a lot easier when you don't have to have that air-supported roof, right? When when you can open up some doors and knock out some walls and, and you know open things without concern of the roof falling down, I think that it will be a lot easier to do some of the other work that we really want to see, right? The new roof will be awesome. The new roof will, will change things in the dome. It, it will allow, well, if if you believe the renderings, it will allow for some nice sun to come through during a football game. Uh, but I think that it really allows them to do other things, like a nice, better scoreboard, uh, like a better sound system, like maybe knocking down some of the concrete and putting windows in to see the campus, uh, you know, things like that. And I think that's the more exciting part if, if you're a Syracuse fan. This building that you like, that you've gone to for 35 or nearly 40 years, it's still going to be there, but it's going to get a major facelift. Open up the concourse. I know that's exactly. something else that that's on the table, and we'll let Pete Sala outline the timeline. But the the timing of the actual announcement makes a lot of sense, right? John Wildhack's been on campus now, you know, more than a year. He's been immersed with this, and Pete Sala and their team. And it comes after commencement weekend. The board of trustees is on campus. They meet. They approve what was you know what was proposed. The timing makes a whole lot of sense. Yes. Lacrosse season is now over. Uh, and that's something you missed over the weekend. Yes. Um, but it's it, you know it's now looking ahead to you know the summer and beyond. And so I thought the timing yesterday made a whole lot of sense for a whole lot of reasons. Well, and I, I thought that was really interesting because you bring up lacrosse season that the the announcement made yesterday and and the point that was made that nothing is going to have to be displaced. 
Um, and one of the questions I want to ask Pete about is how closely were they working with John Wildhack and the athletic department in that football scheduling, right? Because we've seen these games come out and we're like, oh, that's a road game, that's a road game, that's a road game, that's a road game, right? And you looked at it almost every year and they're starting on the road or two weeks on the road or I think in 2020 it's three weeks on the road to start the season. And so I, I was curious how much that was planned because as it was said yesterday, they're not going to kick lacrosse out, which I, I thought was kind of the easy way to do this, right? Uh, the end of March when basketball season ends, say, hey, lacrosse, we, we need you to go play at the soccer stadium. We need you to go play somewhere else so that we can get more time. We can get, pick up those extra two months or, or two and a half months. And it doesn't look like they're going to do that, which I, I think is really interesting. And, and I think that's a really important stage to this. I don't think anybody should be surprised that they're doing it like Madison Square Garden, where it's going to take stages and it's going to take multiple summers and, and they don't want to displace anything because it, you can't do in 2019, in 2020, you can't move the team, the football team to Buffalo and to metal and to the Meadowlands like they did in 1979. So it, it makes a lot of sense that they're doing it differently. Uh, but I was a little bit surprised that they're not displacing lacrosse at least one season to get a little bit more time. I actually brought up that question at the press conference yesterday that you know it would have been easy to protect football and basketball, but I think they, they've shown that lacrosse is a priority. And the answer yesterday given by John Wildhack and, and Pete Sala, they echoed each other's thoughts, was, was basically, listen, we want to enhance the student-athlete experience moving forward, but... You know, not at the cost of the student athlete experience for those that are right. here now, and and I thought that, you know, again, I think that that says a lot about their plan. That's in part why it's going to take four years because they don't want to disrupt anything. You're going to notice some some minor changes, I think, in the dome in the fall. You're not going to notice anything major, and again, that's that's by design. They they don't want to take away from the fan experience. They don't want to take away from the student athlete experience while they do these renovations. So that's certainly something we could get to Pete about. But that that stood out to me as well. That was my number one question, Seth, going to the press conference yesterday was, will any games be moved because of this? And it sounds like no. It sounds like, you know, the beginning of the 2019 football season, the beginning of the 2020 football season, it might be a little bit different where there's not a, a game Labor Day weekend inside the Dome. They, but there's they not start, this year. Right. They're starting on the road at Western Michigan. The, the home opener is the following weekend against Wagner. Moving forward the next two years, more than likely they'll start with a couple of road games to get things started. Pete Sala said that there's going to be a blackout period, in, in his words, uh, from after commencement through mid to late September. If we're talking mid to late September, you're talking multiple road games to start and, the season. But again, I mean, they're, they're not locked into that, obviously, but that's the timeline that they're looking at. Well, and Steve, if you're talking mid to late to s- September, you're also talking going to the ACC and saying, hey, we need a week. We need to, you know, we, we need a game or two on the road. Or then. an early bye week. Or an early bye week. Right, right, right. But you're, you're talking about asking for that help from the conference. Here's one thing I'm curious about. Maybe it's something to ask Pete. Maybe it's not worth it. But how much of this is just the timeline? And and is there also a sense of, hey, we're we're in 2018. We know this is a big project. We want to take our time. But wouldn't it be cool to celebrate the 40th birthday of the Dome by putting this, you know, by opening up the the first stages of of Dome 2.0, so to speak. And and that's when the the roof is supposed to go on, right? uh, 2020. Uh, it's supposed to open, and and I don't I don't say I think that it's a coincidence. Like, I think it is. No, I think it's but a coincidence. I, I just mean that you're that this far down the road, right. and, and you can't get it done next year anyway, right? Like it's it's it, you're probably too far down the road. But I think it is kind of like a, a funny little coincidence that hey, forty years ago Joe Morris is is returning kickoffs for for touchdowns to open the dome, and you're gonna you know not on purpose, but you're going to then open the building and it's fortieth. 
40th season with, let's face it, the first major renovation you're doing uh, in those 40 years. This came up a couple of years ago because the roof needed to be repaired. Like yes. they, did, they didn't actively seek out and say, well, we need to change no, all no, these no. things. No, they brought it up because first and foremost, you know, while it, parts of the building are outdated, obviously it was built in 1979. But first and foremost, the roof needed to be, uh, you know, changed. I mean, they, they needed to fix the roof. So I think it's just a coincidence that after 40 years, the roof needs to be replaced. Yes. And now they're going to put a, on a fixed roof that, oh, by the way, has a 40-year lifespan. So 40 years That'd from now, nice. God willing, I'll still be on this earth and, and uh, might be able to see the, you know, the next roof that, that comes <laughs> on. But it, it, I think it, it, it's a coincidence that we're yes. talking about the 40-year the anniversary. But it's time. They've got a plan in place. You know, they went through Mark Coyle, and then Pete Sal was the interim athletic director, and then John Wildhack, and they've combined forces, and they've put a plan in place that will not displace any games. And, and again, you go down the list, and I know we've got to take a break here coming up, but you go down the list, the, the viewer comments at Channel 9, the listener comments here at ESPN Radio – they, they've checked most of the boxes for what people were saying that they wanted. The air conditioning and the Wi-Fi and the better Bathrooms concessions and, and the better yeah. restrooms, so on and so forth. Seatbacks were mentioned yesterday. Yep. Um, it sounds like they, you know, they've, they've taken that to heart and, and they, they've, they've checked the boxes one by one. Anything not on the list that you'd like to see moving forward? Nothing that I, nothing that popped out to me. Uh, nothing that popped out to me. It was uh, I thought an interesting point brought up. You know, as we were talking before the show started about you know what, what kind of stuff are they doing for the student athletes? What kind of stuff are they doing for for the guys who are playing there? You know, are are they also going to improve? Uh, kind of some of that that behind the scenes stuff in the dome. Uh, they they did redo some locker rooms this year. Are they going to do more of that? I'm curious to see that. But I, I think for what we will see as fans, as media, as as consumers in the dome. I think they they check the boxes. Improved locker rooms. That's something we can talk to Pete Sala about. So let's take a quick break. We'll bring on the chief facilities officer at Syracuse University next. Keep it here. Orange Nation just getting started on ESPN Radio. Live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by Skinny Atlas Small Engine, your premier LS tractor and steel dealer. Stop by their open house on May 19th. We've got Nick Friedel from ESPN.com and ESPN 1000 in Chicago set to join us in about 10 minutes from now as we talk NBA playoffs, conference finals. We'll talk a little NBA combine with Nick as well, who obviously works in Chicago combine beginning uh, tomorrow there. Tyus battle among those in attendance. Did the game last night surprise you? Just really quickly. No. Okay. I, not, we talked neither. about this the other day. We me said, who, yeah. do you, who do you have more confidence in, yeah. the Warriors or the Cavs? And you and I both said the Warriors. Um, we, we'll, we'll get to this more at the top of the hour. Yes. But yeah, uh, I, no, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised at all. Speaking of basketball, let's get to Pat in Syracuse at 315-437-7644. Hey, Pat. Look, I want to say I've, I've met Pete Salem before. He's a very intelligent, very nice man, and I can say the same about John Wildeck. They, they've, they've accomplished more um, in their careers than, than 90% of the public. But what I will say is not going to be well-received by them. Don't, don't talk to me about fan experience when the number one fan experience thing is what? Seats, okay? This is 25 years overdue, and also we were teased with it five years ago until it got political and with the financing and, uh, you know, with, with the monetary considerations for such a large project. You know, this is already way behind the, the, between 
the schedule and then the rollout and now how they're staging. You have to stage it. I've, I've been through renovations. You have to stage it. Absolutely. And I think they're doing a lot of things right. But to me, the first thing I wanted to establish is the roof, according to the last report that I read, Sears left, if they so chose to stage that. So to me, that should have been something that maybe was considered. You, you've already paid for it. You know, I don't know when they did, but I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's got six years left. What, what you, hang on, Pat. You're breaking up here a little bit. What What are you yeah. fired up about, though? Because, I mean, John Waldhack's only been here a couple of years. And, I mean, you say that they're behind schedule. Um, I mean, they, they these guys got it done. And, and, and they're giving this community what it's – you're right. It's long overdue, but they're finally getting it. So what are you, what are you fired up about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 that, and that's why I wanted to qualify that, you know, a lot of this was, was, was inherited and that yes. they are intelligent men trying to make the right decision. But – and hopefully this new regime is more in touch with the fan experience. But what I'm fired up about is you spend two minutes in the bathroom, you spend two hours in your seat. They got to fix the seats. I've been to 10 other venues and they're all, that's the biggest notice. I mean, do I really care about the lighting? If, if you want to talk lighting for a moment, what's the worst thing about the lighting is, is when they get that uh, ribbon banner that, that lights up and it gets all bright and then you can't even see the court. When, when it goes dark, look at the difference. It's such a better fan experience when you can actually see what you're paying good money to see. I think they're doing a lot of things right. I don't want to sound negative and, and upset, but I am very disappointed that that they are not upgrading the, the uh, seating. And, and that's because they'll, they'll, they'll be revenue lost, and that's why they're not doing it. So that's my point. I think other than that, the, the, the Dome is a great recruiting advantage for sure, and, and I was kind of torn if they should go with a different venue years ago when, when, when that got dismissed. I think the Dome needs to stay, and that's a tough thing to say because I think the Dome experience is garbage. I really do. I've been to so many other venues, and I'm like, wow, this is how it should be, and it's been this way for so long. I think that's why I'm a little fired up because we've, we've been playing fool's gold with increases in preferred seating and ticket prices for so many years, and what have we gotten in return for so many years? Nothing. So I, I, I just say – I don't know all the endowments and how it works, but for me, I think everything's great except for the seats. To me, I'm checked out with the roof and the scoreboard and all those things because if, I mean, as we get into our 40s and such, Steve, you know, you want a comfortable seat. And, and there are 30% of the people that are older than I am and older than you. I can't imagine that, that they're comfortable. And that's why they don't go to all the games. And, and that's also why 60% of the um, games are – 6,000 no-shows or more. So that's all I got for today, Steve. All right, appreciate checking in, Pat. And it, it sounds like Pat's like me that, like, he wakes up in the morning sometimes and, and like, there's there's something hurting. And, like, how, how did I, like, hurt I my back? I sat on bleachers for six well, no, hours I mean, and, or, or just there's, like, no reason for it. Like, you wake up in the morning and, you're like... Like your back's kind of hurting, or like your leg hurting. Like you're like, how did how did that happen? Like, what did I do yesterday that caused my back to hurt? So it sounds like Pat's in the same boat as me. Uh, And I'm not minimizing what he's saying because he he's right. And um, with you know, obviously, you want to have a comfortable seat. I get that. It is on the table. That is something they're they're going to try to address. And and let's give them the benefit of the doubt on this one because you know Pat could say it's long overdue. I think Pete Sal and John Wildhack would both say it's long overdue. Everyone in this town would say, you know, that building was, again, built in 1979. It's it's outdated in a lot of respects. They right. need to be, make upgrades. They see the need to make upgrades. 
they had to go through a process. The process took a while. Obviously, there was the change in athletic director with, you know, Mark Coyle was here, and then all of a sudden he wasn't, and they had to navigate all that. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. This team, and let's, this let's, team closed the deal. Let's see what let's see what happens at the end of this whole thing. But the, the the cushion seats are on the table. You know, improvements to the locker rooms. You heard you know Pete talk about that. That's already well underway. They they've already started that. They started that last year. Um, so I understand what Pat's saying. Not saying he's wrong. That the seats are uncomfortable. Yes, they are. Let's see how they address it during this renovation process. Yeah, I'm with you. This this is the team that closed the deal, right? This is the team that actually like got a plan rolling, and and so I think that you gotta kind of trust them for for another year or so and, and see what they're really gonna roll out. All right, we gotta take another timeout. Nick Ferdell from ESPN.com covers the NBA. He works in Chicago. We're going to have him on next to talk NBA playoffs, to talk NBA Draft Combine, which begins tomorrow in Chicago. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Hour number two underway here on ESPN Radio. Phone lines now open the rest of the way at 315-437-7644. We're starting hour number two a little bit late, but for good reason. Nick Friedel, uh was fantastic. Wanted to keep him on uh, talking NBA, talking playoffs, talking draft combine. Um, let's start, I guess, with the Western Conference Finals and what we saw last night. Uh, again, you know, Harden does his thing, goes for 41, and the Rockets weren't even close lost by double digits do you feel a little bit like you did after game one of the raptors Cavs series where it's just like well they tried this is over <laughs> they tried right like it's like I, I look at this and and the you know the the question i asked nick like are, are you going to beat them by playing their own game like no you're not right you're not you're not going to beat the warriors by simply going out and playing your own game and i think that's what we saw last night like oh cool james harden goes for 45 points okay like that's not enough you know, it's okay. Steph Curry didn't have a great night, but they still won by 13. Like, I, I think that we kind of saw that play itself out last night, didn't we? Can I answer your question, your initial question? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't feel the same way. Um, because in the Cavs Raptors series, I felt like the Raptors had the better team. Now, LeBron mentally broke them with that that game one win, right? How they they yep. didn't lead at all in regulation. Then they they pull ahead in overtime. They they stole that game, and they it felt like what was that the seventh straight win in the playoffs over the Raptors? It felt like you know Toronto's spirit was broken, but I didn't feel the same way because I I still thought it was only one game. Toronto's got the better team. There's a chance. And if LeBron doesn't get any help, and we saw in the Indiana series he didn't get much help, I thought that the Raptors had the potential to turn that series around. The reason I feel different about last night is that I think the Warriors are just better. They're just better yes. than the Rockets. And I didn't necessarily have that feeling you know, with that series you're describing, the, the Raptors-Cavs. The Warriors are just better. The Warriors now have home court. The Warriors are going to win this series, as Nick said. If they stay healthy, the Warriors are better. They might win this thing in five. Yeah, look, I, I you know, I didn't mean the comparison as I, I didn't think the Warriors weren't the better team. I, I just meant it in like you, you went out and you see Game One, and and, and you're just like, okay, like they're, they're going to make quick work. Like, well, you I, I'll me- be honest with you, I didn't feel like that Raptor series was over. I it, after Game huh. One, I, okay. I felt like all right, there, you know. Oh, that was unexpected. Cavs stole one. Oh, I thought one. that was like over. Well, you were right. But I, at the time, I thought, eh, well, the Raptors are still better. Let's see what happens from here. Then as it progressed, and you know, then game two, you know, after game two, I felt like, all right, well, now it's going back to Cleveland. It's 2-0, no chance. Right. But after game one, I felt like, well, that's unfortunate. And then you the know, game winner for, in for game Toronto. three. Yeah, right. right. But it, just, 
snatch their souls out of their bodies. But yes. after game one, I didn't feel like this thing is over. I felt like, obviously, advantage Cavs. I feel like after watching Warriors-Rockets last night, and the Rockets didn't play poorly, and James Harden was great, and they still lost by 13, and Steph Curry had an off night. After watching that game last night, I feel like this series is over, and I didn't yep. necessarily get that feeling coming out of Raptors Cavs game one. Yeah, I, I feel that was my my point. I guess is I, I feel like this series is over, and and if you talked to me on Saturday, if you talked to me on Sunday, if we talked about this on Friday, I would have told you I thought this series is probably going to go six or seven games with the the Warriors pulling it out because guess what, they're better. Uh, I don't think that's happening. Like I, I think that maybe they'll go. Uh, you know, four, maybe five, and and I think that's probably the high end of it. Five, maybe off chance you're you're finishing in six. Uh, I think that's the high end of where this series goes, though, because uh, much like the series against the Pelicans, and and Nick called back to that. You you look at what the Pelicans did. I I think it was in game one. They played as well as they could, and they still lost by twenty. You know, the the Rockets last night, like, how much better can they play? They got 25 out of Chris Paul. They got 41 out of James Harden. How much better can they play, and they lost by 13? And again, what what do you change, right? I mean, if, if that's your A game, and I, I think that was pretty close to Houston's A game, um, what, what do you change? You, you can't hope that Golden State has four off nights in the series. That's not going to happen. No. So you got to mix something else up. And you can't beat Golden State at, at their own game. I think we know that. Um, if you're the Rockets, you know what do you do? How do you, I don't know. How do, you try, how do you change something up to win this series? I think they'll probably get one. Again, good teams generally get at least one. Toronto mentally wasn't strong enough to get one. I think the Rockets are good enough to get one, but... You know, if you're asking me for a prediction right now, I'd I'd say Warriors in five. Yeah, and look, you already got your off night from Steph. We talked about that. You already got an off shooting night from Draymond Green. He went one for five last night. And yeah, he had nine assists and nine rebounds. I'm so tired of Draymond Green, by the way. But the point being, you already got like a semi-off night from him. You already got your off night from Steph. Like, you can't just expect to get off nights from those guys again over the next two weeks if this series drags out. So... I think you know it's it's tough to say after one game like you think that's it, but you you think that's it. And and I saw this point made, and I think this is what uh, I saw this point made on Twitter last night. And I think this is the what kind of encapsulates the 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 Warriors really well these past couple of years. When your third or fourth best player is the guy who holds the record for scoring the most points in a single quarter. You know, that says something about your team. You know, you you've can, got options. You, right. You know, okay, fine. Steph Curry and James Harden are kind of right. And, and okay, maybe, maybe, you know, you, you put Chris Paul and, or, or Harden and Durant and then Steph and, and Chris Paul. Okay, fine. Cancel but, each other out. But, maybe. But Clay Thompson is a lot better than the third guy you got, right? Yeah. Draymond Green is a lot better than the fourth guy you got. And it, it's just hard to match up after that. So we both think the Warriors series is over. Yes. Um, on the flip side, Celtics-Cavs, Game 2 tonight. Do you think if the Celtics win Game 2, is this series over? Because I don't. I think even if they go back to Cleveland 2-0, or or 0-2, I guess in this case, I I don't think it's over-over. I don't think think that... I don't think the Cavs would would win 4 out of 5, having to win 2 of them at... Or having to win... Yeah, yeah, well, they, they'd have to win one. They would have to because they, they still they potentially still have three home games. Right. Okay. And yeah, they, they would, would have, have to win, win one at in Boston. In Boston, I don't think they would be able to do it. But I wouldn't say the series is over. I, I could see that going six or seven. You know, depending on how that goes. So uh, again, I, I said this last week, and I, I will eat this forever because uh, I I 
I feel like this playoffs proves it more than anything else. I'm not betting against LeBron James. I'm just not going to do it. Because you know what? I fully expect him, and maybe it's unfairly, I fully expect him to go out there and put up 45 points and triple-double tonight. You know, like, right. like he had the bad game. Okay, and now guess what he's not going to do? And, you know, bad game by his standards. It, to me, it kind of felt like a, a feeling-out process. He was feeling out the Celtics in Game 1. He didn't shoot it all that well. What was he, like 7 for 15 from the field? Didn't really get to the free-throw line. That, yes, that was an off night by his standards. Um, but it was almost like, a, all right, we're going to kind of feel each other out. He said out. that after the game. Yeah, he, he, it was it was a feeling-out process. I think, I think you're right. I think tonight we're going to see LeBron be a lot more aggressive. I think he has to be more aggressive. Even if they lose this one, though, I think the Cavs are still in the series because LeBron is is so good, number one, obviously, and that goes without saying, but number two, he's so good at making adjustments. And as this series continues, he's going to outthink you. He's going to outwork you, and he's going to outperform you. Now, if, if, if he gets some help on top of that, they can get back in the series. Can't do it all by himself. But you know that from LeBron. You know you can count on he will continue to get better. He will play better. He will put his teammates in position to succeed, and whether or not you know they succeed as a whole, you know that relies on on his teammates to some degree. But I'm not going to say the series is over if they go back to Cleveland down 0-2. But I, I'm with you, Seth. I fully expect you know a, a vintage LeBron James yeah, game tonight. I, I think that you you have to. You almost have to, and that you know, fair or not, you almost have to expect him to come out and, and do something crazy tonight, and, and uh, that might be unfair because. That's the kind, but that's the kind of expectation that uh, you know LeBron gets now, right? That's the kind of expectations that that are placed on him. So fair or not, I think that the expectation has to be that he's going to do something crazy. Um, and you know, to your point, it, is LeBron not good enough to win at least one game on his own? He's good enough. You know, maybe maybe more than that. I, I mean, we we saw that in the first two rounds of the playoffs. How many games did he win against Indiana alone? You know, and and so I most think that, of them, right? Um, three of the four. Yeah. So I think that when you look at LeBron, like it's it's hard to say, oh, okay, the Cavs lost Game One. He's not. They're not going to win a game, or they're not going to push this series to the limit because they they might, right? Like they might because he could just turn it on and win a game tonight. And let's not he forget, just turn it on and win a game in three nights it, when they go back to Cleveland. I realize it was a blowout, and so I'm not sure how much this would have mattered. They they were atrocious from three point range. They were four for twenty six. That's fifteen percent. You know, Corver and uh, J.R. Smith made one combined three point. I think they were one for eight from three point range. So you know, if they shot thirty percent instead of sixteen percent, again at the end of the day, probably wouldn't have changed the outcome. Um, but they're not going to shoot like that. They're going to be in this game. They're not going to get blown out. We both expect LeBron to to put up big numbers, put up a big game. The rest of his teammates are going to shoot the ball better. Um, I, I think this is going to be a much, much closer game tonight, and I would not be surprised if it goes back 1-1. Uh, but even if it's 0-2, I think the Cavs are still in it. 315-437-7644. Got to take another timeout. Back after this on ESPN Radio.